everybody. Welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I'm so glad you're here. It's time for episode six, The Aristocats, one I have surprisingly never watched and didn't really know anything about. Came out in 1970. I found Roger Ebert's review and he said, quote, the problem with a lot of family movies is that they're excruciatingly boring for anyone in the family over the age of 12. I think I can safely say that The Aristocats is not one of those dreadful exercises in simplicity. If you find it necessary to take the kids, you won't suffer. The man didn't mess around with his movie reviews. This was the 10th movie checked off the list of my summer movie challenge with a total of 11 down, only 37 more to go. A quick reminder that if you want to watch along with me, there's a printable copy of the challenge list available on my newsletter or in the show notes. Any particular one you think I should discuss in future episodes, be sure to let me know. Let me set the scene at my podcast prep. First, I sit down with the movie challenge list in front of me, close my eyes, and see which movie my finger lands on. Super professional. Then I determine if it's just going to be a relax and watch or potential episode. In the case of the Aristocats, I knew it was probably going to be an episode since I was going into it fresh and unscathed by years of watching and picking apart the plot. Second, I grab my computer and prep my podcast template. I like to have it ready to go in case the story portion of the episode comes to me during the viewing. I have a tendency to immediately forget about something that pops into my head because there's usually another five ideas right behind it. So I want to make sure I'm ready to write down to minimize that possibility. After the sections are set, I scroll to the bottom of the document, hit play, and start a bulleted list of observations and questions about the movie. Now, the actual movie watching, I probably hit pause around a good 25 times over the course of the 70 to 90 minute flick. Why? Because that brain of mine starts to think about the voice actors. Whose voice is that? Where have I heard it before? What else have they done? Can I somehow connect them to Kevin Bacon? When was this movie made? The art looks familiar. What else did the artist work on? What was going on at Disney at the time? And on and on it goes. I call this the IMDb effect. If you do not consume your movies and TV shows with the IMDb app open at all times on your phone, I both envy you and are not sure how you function. It becomes really a game. A few years ago, I was blessed to be able to go on a trip to Scotland and Ireland. Because the few people I actually talked to on the phone, aka my parents, were also on the trip, there was no need to splurge for the, I don't even know what it's called, the international travel package for my cell phone. What did this mean, though? That I would be unable to use cellular service to access the internet at least until back at the hotel to log on to spotty Wi-Fi. So I'm wandering around the streets of Edinburgh with a traveling weirdo buddy, and we're talking pop culture as we tend to do, and we realize we need IMDb to remember an actor's name. She, too, is an IMD- IMDb addict. We immediately felt lost and did not know how to function at all. Was it a life or death question? No, certainly not. But once it's in your head, you can't get it out until you find the answer. It was miserable. Did I not enjoy my time wandering the streets of Edinburgh? I learned to cope and was able to fully be present, but I came to realize that I might have an IMDB obsession. When you're taking notes to check later, you might have a problem. So back to the podcast prep. I finally finished the movie after two hours when it should have only taken me about an hour and a half, and then I start to piece together my notes into some kind of coherent form. I read through it at least 10 times, make adjustments, and then get ready to record. 
So that's how I have approached this particular episode on the Aristocats, and we'll dive into my list. But first, an overly simplified summary of Disney's animated feature, The Aristocats. A seemingly kind-hearted woman who is seeking to put her affairs in order, I don't think she thinks she's sick, I think she just thinks she's old, chooses to leave all of her worldly possessions and wealth to her cats, and upon their demise to her stalwart manservant, Edgar. Hearing this, Edgar schemes to murder the cats and take the fortune for his own. He fails. Potential animal murder seems like such an odd plot for animated children's movies. And it's not Disney's only one, which is even weirder. 101 Dalmatians is a horrible story. I kind of, I wish I could have been in that brainstorming session. If they were like, you know what all the kids will love? Let's threaten to kill animals and use their fur for coats. I mean, who thought of this one? What other observations and confusions was I left with after my viewing? Well, let's just dive in and see. Number one. The plot kicks off right with Madame returning home to her mansion and preparing to welcome an old friend and solicitor to her home to discuss her will. While in the parlor, I guess, I don't really know fancy home names, room names, she tells him of her plan, the solicitor, to leave all of her belongings to her cats. The fortune would then pass along to her butler, Edgar. I wouldn't call Edgar's discovery of her plan eavesdropping necessarily, but I do wonder if folks had any secrets in the olden days. Was there no way for her to stop the, the transfer of sound on her end of the speaker tube system in the parlor? I mean, I get the logistics of having it. If she needs something, she needs to be able to get a hold of Edgar, but that also means Edgar is privy to everything that goes on in the room just seems and proves to be ill-advised all the way around. And was Edgar her only employee, I wonder? I mean, you don't see a cook or you don't see a maid, so it's just Madam living in this giant house with her cats and her butler, Edgar. Interesting. Number two, Madam seems like a personable, kind, compassionate human being. She isn't rude to her staff, cares well for her creatures. While she may not have any family to share her wealth with, I find it hard to believe that there is no one beside her cats and her butler that she would include in her will. Was potentially leaving all of one's wealth to the staff really a thing at that time? I, I don't think I've ever heard of that. And what did she think the cats were going to do with the money? Who would actually be managing that money? What were they going to do with it? Number three, you can love your cats, but you shouldn't love your cats. Number four, I really enjoyed the clever naming of the cats. I had to Google a few, and that, of course, led to its own spiral of research that took far too long, but I definitely learned a few things. I was, of course, familiar with the origin of Toulouse. I mean, I appreciate the artistry of Toulouse-Lautrec, but he's not one of my favorites. He is in the movie Moulin Rouge, but that's something completely different. But I had not, never heard of, or couldn't recall knowing, about the composer Hector Berlioz. Um, so there's Berlioz, Toulouse, and Marie. And Marie, of course, is named after Marie Antoinette. Number five. So in an adorable scene, Marie, Toulouse, and Berlioz are all practicing some sort of craftiness. Berlioz is playing piano. Marie is singing, if you want to call it that, and Toulouse is painting. What do Madame and Edgar think of this? Do they just accept that the music playing in the house is being performed by cats? That a cat created the artwork that they hang in the hallway? 
The piano playing could be done when no one is around, kind of Toy Story-esque, I suppose, but the painting doesn't quite work like that. Sure, they could hide the painting, but how are they getting the paint out to begin with? Number six, strange animal world conundrums again. Back to that same conversation conversation from Chicken Little. There are natural hunters and natural prey. How does this work? How do geese go confidently up to a cat and start chatting? How does a mouse spend time with a group of cats? How do a mouse and a horse communicate? How does this world work? Number seven. So not only is the plot about killing cats, they also decide to throw in a drunk goose. Who is vetting these movie ideas? (laughs) Number eight. General observation part one. Fishing line could not alone lift a large basket with a grown dog in it. A basset hound, too. That has to be heavy. They're kind of dense, aren't they? Number nine. General observation part two. I'm not a fan of O'Malley referring to Duchess as honey and baby. Gives off kind of a squidgy vibe. Number ten. Shungan is a very disappointing portrayal of a seemingly Asian character, and unfortunately not the only time Disney has used a Siamese cat for such a portrayal. It's just a shame. Number 11. One last question. O'Malley decides to accompany Duchess and the kittens back to Paris. They get there pretty late in the evening, and he invites them over to his own home. He doesn't want to wake up the madam with their meowing, maybe? I don't know. What was he doing out in the countryside, though? He has a home in Paris. It wasn't a short jaunt that, I mean, it took them a while to get back into the city. I just could never really figure out how and why he got out there in the first place. And why is he American sounding? At the very least, they could have made him British like all of the other people living supposedly in France. So that was the list of things that popped into my head as I was watching. I am always, of course, trying to find some life lessons as well, and it was a little harder this go-around. They all seemed pretty surface level. Maybe don't discuss the contents of your will and testament in front of individuals who might want to take advantage. Make sure the private conversation is actually in private. And it's a life well-lived if you make good friends. Duchess was a beautiful cat. It's no wonder she caught the attention of the orange tabby with a lot of swagger. But she is also kind and thoughtful. She invites a mouse over for dinner. Not to eat him, mind you, but literally as a guest at the food bowl. She also creates a relationship with the horses that drive the wagon. That kindness, those relationships lead to loyalty and support, especially when Edgar makes a second attempt to rid the world of some pretty precious cats. Foster good friendships. You never know when you might need that support. So how would I rate this particular movie watching experience? I enjoyed it. I'm not sure how often I'll revisit it, but it was worth the watch. There were some problematic moments, but the kittens were cute and kept me watching. And I heard so many familiar voices. I mean, Thomas O'Malley sounded suspiciously like Little John from Robin Hood. And the actor Phil Harris is another born Hoosier, which is pretty awesome. Maybe do away with the sexist nicknames, the damsel in distress, and the hurtful stereotyping of other cultures. There's potential there, though, even if the plot is about animal torture. (laughs) I just can't get past that. Favorite scene. It's not really specifically a scene, but I really enjoyed the dogs, Napoleon and Lafayette. They're doing their own thing. I mean, they're kind of lazy. They just are laying around until they hear a noise, and yet they're surprisingly efficient at getting what they want. Favorite song. Not a lot to choose from here. There weren't a ton of songs in the movie, but I'm not sure how you don't choose Everybody Wants to Be a Cat. But my favorite quote from Marie, ladies do not start fights, but they can finish them. 
What did you think of the Aristocats? I'd love to hear your opinions. Do you have answer answers to some of my ridiculous questions? I'm all ears. A quick rundown of what else I've watched. Just Jungle Book. I'm a much bigger fan of the animated version than the 2016 live action. Shere Khan was kind of terrifying in that one. And of course, there were definitely some more familiar voices. Phil Harris makes another appearance as Baloo, but Winnie the Pooh and Cheshire Cat show up as well. It's always kind of a little startling. You're like, hey, I know that voice. <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining me today. I'll be back next Tuesday with the new episode. I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. The podcast is now available just about everywhere. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review the podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as A Bit of Fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today, and I'll see you next time. Thank mm-hmm. you.